Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Hey, this is Bill Kasky. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about why you should join a small group and how it's vital to your personal growth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Bill Kasky podcast. Throat a little under the weather today, but we are going to persevere. I got a little summer cold. No, it's not what you think it is. I had that already last year. I'm not even going to mention it. I love this music. Oh, so good. All right. Uh, we're going to talk today about why a small coaching group or a mastermind group is good for you. And this presumes that I even know what I'm talking about here because I've been running groups for 25 years. And it also presumes I know anything about you, which I don't. But I have been around enough people who have been in these groups and have moderated groups and been a part of groups that to me, it is the number one learning mechanism today. It's better than PowerPoint presentations. It's better. It's Podcasts are good. Podcasts are good. But man, when you find a group of people who you can... Uh, center your business life around and you can meet on a frequent or regular basis, it can be extremely powerful. I'm going to give you five reasons why today. Uh, this all comes from someone who has been doing groups for, as I said, 25, maybe 27 years. I used to do them face-to-face about five years ago. We went to virtual groups. I've had several uh, different names. The 2X group was one I did for sales professionals, still have one of those going. I've also got one for high achievers called the High Achiever Mentoring Program. Some of you are already a part of that. Going to be introducing some more groups this fall for corporate people, corporate work. And the reason I think it's important for us to take stock of where our learning comes from is that we are in a place right now where we have to learn. We've got to learn to do things in a different way. And those of us who do learn that, we will be fine in the future. Those of you who don't, and yes, I said you, not us, those of you who don't will not be fine. You might keep your job. You might keep growing your business, but it's going to be hard for you to realize your true potential if you can't continue to learn and add new skills, delete some of those skills that don't work anymore. And I do think it's a matter of adding and deletion. It's never just adding and adding and adding. You've got to get rid of skills that don't work, don't serve you, get rid of activities that don't either. So the point of today's podcast, I want to share with you five ways and reasons that uh, a small group can be really beneficial for you. Number one is what we call collective learning. And it comes from a community. Some people call it community learning. And the idea there is that when you sit in a classroom back in your school days, that you would learn more in a classroom because you would see the interaction with the teacher and other students and you would hear their problems and you would see their successes. And because of that, collectively, you would grow your skills. Now, 
the argument could be made that our school system is really not built that way because a lot of times our school system is built on lecture and lecture is not is not does not take advantage of collective learning. So I believe that a small group should be very collective in its approach to learning and the moderator should do his or her job to make sure that everyone is learning from each other. That this is not the moderator being the high ego pontificator, if that is such a word, where you're just sitting there in a group for an hour and 15 minutes listening to the moderator, the facilitator, the teacher, instructor, whatever you want to call him or her. You're not doing that. You're collectively informing each other. You're sharing ideas. You are sharing frustrations, where you're stuck. That's such a popular question. I I always try to ask my groups. I don't always get it done. Where are you stuck today? What's not working? Where are you stuck? And whenever you ask the question or someone asks you the question, where are you stuck? There's always an answer because there's always somewhere you're stuck. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're stupid, uh, ignorant. It just means you're stuck. It's okay to be stuck. And I think if the moderator understands the power of collective learning, they can ask that question because it also informs how the group then interacts to help each other get unstuck. Number two, it will overcome your intellect. What I refer to by your intellect is your memory and all of those things that are stored up in your memory that you have experienced in life is what I would call your intellect. Now, someone may have a different definition of it, but uh, we always say that a person's intellect is crucial to their intelligence. I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, I'm sure there's a part of that that works. But when I say overcome your intellect is that our intellect also will stop us from learning, especially when there's cognitive dissonance, when there's something that's happening inside the group that, uh, here's an example. In, in my groups, I always recommend a prevailing attitude of I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can help you as a prospect. I don't know if this new sales strategy will work. I don't know if I should be on social media. I don't know if I should be shooting videos. Whatever the situation is, you have to enter it from a position of I don't know because there's only so much you can know and there's a whole lot more you don't know. And you don't really know until you've investigated something whether something is absolutely true or not. So I don't know is a much better position and foundation to take when you go in. That also creates problems for high ego people. A lot of high ego people will say, well, I wouldn't, I know everything. I, I would never go into an organization or to a situation not knowing. Well, maybe you should because maybe the prospect doesn't know either. Maybe that's the only thing you have in common. You don't know if you can help them. They don't know if they need the help. Presto, you have some rapport there just because you both are ignorant. But a lot of times when that when that move comes up and that situation comes up where I say, you, you need to enter in, I get a lot of pushback, got a lot of resistance on that. Well, then when somebody comes back the next week in the group and says, hey, Bill, I resisted you. I didn't think that worked, but I went in last week and I had a great conversation. And I said three times during the conversation, look, I don't know if I can help. And, and by the end of the, pro- the prospect was trying to get me to stay and meet other people. And he was trying to sell me what, whatever the story is. Then the other nine people who sit around listen to this, who were also resistant to the I don't know situation, they hear this and they say, oh, well, he's either lying to Bill, trying to get brownie points, which I don't give out, or 
maybe I need to rethink this concept of I don't know. Maybe I need to think my resistance to it. So overcoming the intellect is about surrounding yourself with people who are willing to break down old habits, old memories of how things used to work and put in their place new things that work, and they will bring you along for the ride, and they don't even know that they're bringing you along for the ride. So no one's shaming you. No one's saying, Bill, you look, you know, look on your face. Looks like you just don't get this. Nobody's doing that. You're just, you're just moving along. And before you know it, six people in the group adopt this new I don't know philosophy. And then eight people. And you may be the last one, but you'll get there. And that's how you overcome the intellect. Number three, there is built-in accountability without shame. I don't like shame. I don't like to be shamed. I don't like to shame people. I don't like it when I'm in the room when other people are shaming other people. I think it's sickening and it's sad and it says a lot more about the shamer than the shamee or the shamu. So uh, I don't think accountability needs to be hitched on the back of shame or vice versa. I don't think they need to be separate. And so by accountability in a group, I mean if you say to the group, I'm going to do this by this time next session or next week, and we come back to you then, which we do in all of our groups. If somebody makes a commitment, I always come back. I make a note and say, okay, Philip, you said you were going to do this. How'd it go? And if Philip too many weeks in a row says, well, I didn't get that accomplished, then when he makes that assignment and he declares what I'm going to do, some people in the group will say, well, wait a minute now, Philip, I don't believe you. You said that four times in a row and you haven't done it yet. What makes this week any different? Now, you might say, well, that's kind of shaming. No, it's just holding people accountable. We're not saying he's a bad person for it. But a lot of times, accountability doesn't even have to be called out. Because if I, if I am getting ready to attend a meeting that I committed something to, damn right, I'm going to be fulfilling that commitment in some way. I'll get it done on the way to the meeting. I'll recap in notes, whatever. I'll get it done. So that's that hidden accountability. You just know that you're going to be accountable for your promises because you will let the group down if you don't. So rarely does there need to be any accountability or calling people out. I use that example just as a, a primer for this. But a lot of times that accountability just comes organically. Number four, reason you should join some kind of a group is just camaraderie. You know, we, we kind of live in isolation, don't we? I mean, we are in a company and we're in a department and we have other people who do what we do. And it, you know, it, I hate to keep saying it used to be that we used to go out and have lunch together. And, you know, I remember I was with a company called Woods Products and every day we would go to the Carmel Racket Club and have hard boiled eggs and tuna sandwich on toast and an iced tea and we would literally go there every day. And that was when we learned about each other's territory and other accounts. And we would sit with the owner of the company and he would share with us what the plans are. And there was a lot of knowledge that got transferred there. We don't have that today. We don't have as much of that, I should say. Not just because of the shutdown and virtual remote work. I just mean that we don't really have, we're, we're kind of isolated. We're kind of isolated. So you need a place to go where you can share stories. And people can be unconditionally supportive of you too. And what you don't want to do is go to a place where you tell a story and then five other people one-up you. And that's kind of the way of the, of the world today is we're, we're kind of a one-up culture. 
and we're hearing your story, but we're thinking the whole time about how we can one-up your story. You don't want a group like that. And, the, and facilitators, if you're moderating a group, don't ever let that stuff happen in a group. It'll, it'll just pound the, it'll pound the substance out of people. It'll ruin the soul. So develop some camaraderie, get to know people outside the group, help people, can, uh, you know, help people solve problems. Uh, I've got a group of high achievers, and one of the people in the group is, is really good at asking questions and solving problems, and he always is willing to say, hey, look, I'll, I'll jump on a call with you. Maybe we can sort this out in 15, 20 minutes. And people do, and they, and they do sort things out. Number five, I almost said it here, and the number four is contribution. I think it's important that you get to contribute to the well-being of the group. It could be contributing ideas. It could be contributing questions to someone. It could be contributing compassion. Uh, generosity of some kind, but you need to see yourself as a contributor. I always tell people, if you ever are interested in the High Achiever program and we have a phone call, I will always tell you I'm looking for givers, not just takers. I want you to come to each meeting ready to contribute because if 10 people, 12 people come ready to contribute, man, it makes everything easy. It, It changes the whole soul and culture and ethos of the group. It's the whole mojo becomes better because everybody's there for one reason, to help everybody get better. And by you helping somebody else get better, you get better too. So if you do not have a small group, get one. Form one. If you want to talk to me about uh, how you might be able to participate in one of ours, I'm happy to take your call. You can go to BillCaskey.com and there should be plenty of places there. You can uh, jump on my calendar. If not, no problems. I will see you next week on the Bill Caskey Podcast. Glad you joined me today. If you have not done a review, by the way, I would love that. I know I say that occasionally, but I really would. Go to iTunes, leave a review, good, bad, or ugly. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.